0: turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan.
1: Hi there. Are you a high-income earner? Do you feel like you're paying more than your fair share? Do you feel like the tax man is taking too big a bite out of your check, out of your finances? Well, I'm here to help. I help high-income people legally reduce their taxes, and I can help you. So if you feel like you're paying too much in taxes and you're a high-income individual, schedule an introductory conversation with me and let's see what maybe we can do to help. Also, if you've had a large capital gain event, maybe it's a business, maybe it's a piece of real estate, maybe it's stocks or bonds, investments, we can help there too. So reach out, schedule a discovery call, and let's see if we can solve your problem. Welcome to the show. Today we have Vince Bushimi host of the Dr. Vincent Bushimi podcast, and a fee-for-service dentist in the Detroit area. He has an interesting background with a couple of lessons for us to learn today. Vince, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me on, Ross.
1: So tell us a little bit about your background. When, as we record this, you are a very happy Michigan alumni and fan because they just won the national title. So tell us a little, about, a little bit about your background.
2: Graduated from Michigan about 10 years ago, and within that span from graduating until now, I've had four daughters, so I haven't watched a sporting event since I graduated from dental school. So I'm not even sure what a football looks like, but I've heard they won the national championship. That's hilarious. How old are your daughters? Seven, five, and my twins are three. Oh, wow. So
1: I have five kids, 16, 14, 12, eight, and four. So mine are a little bit older than yours, but my head's on a swivel just like yours is.
2: I as rare I meet somebody that has more kids than I do. I met somebody yesterday who had seven. <laughs> oh so I, I be the exact same thing. I do <laughs> the exact same thing. I never meet
1: someone who has more kids than me. But you're in zone defense. It's what it is.
2: Oh yeah, is you have to pick and roll. I tell this if you don't transition between one defender to the next, they're knocking something over.
1: No, and I I tell my wife because our oldest is 16. She she won't be long before she's gone. I'm like. So we need to put another one in here. We just need to replace the kid with another kid. She's, no, I'm not. <laughs> no <pregnant> way. <laughs> man. So. so anyway, so you went to Michigan about 10 years ago. You went to Michigan dental school as well, right?
2: I went to Oakland University for undergrad, which is in Rochester, Michigan. And then I went to Michigan for dental school.
1: Okay, great. So you graduated and tell us what happened next.
2: I graduated and I started working for my childhood dentist as his associate. Okay, great. And then maybe you've experienced this. You enter the real world and you realize you don't learn anything in school.
1: No, school is a waste of complete time. You, you learn a little bit of clinical stuff in dental school, but not a lot. Um, Barely. And you learn nothing about business. Uh, But college, I'm fairly anti-college. And so I have unpopular opinions on college. So this will get a bit interesting feedback. I don't really see the need to pay $80,000 to become a communist because that's where most college students are these days because they don't read history books. But anyway, so I'm to the point where I think a college degree doesn't have much value unless you're going into law, medicine, or engineering. And so obviously dentistry is medicine. So you have to go. But you don't learn enough to actually practice dentistry from all the dentists that I know and talk to. they're like, you don't learn enough at all. It's not even close.
2: And I couldn't agree more. And $80,000 a year to get a liberal arts degree to come out and be less educated than when you entered college seemed like a scam for me.
1: I don't know that I would use the word seem, but that's a different topic for a different (laughs) day.
2: And I'm sure somebody's
1: I'm unsubscribing now. Yeah, I know.
2: (laughs) That's okay. You don't need them.
1: Uh, But so you went to your childhood dentist and you realized, crap, I don't know how to do this. And you didn't learn what you basically need to learn in dental school. Is that right?
2: Yes. I didn't know how to talk to patients. I didn't know how to handle my own personal finances. I couldn't handle my own emotions. I could barely draw on a tooth. It was like I was a baby again at 27 years old.
1: Wow, like that was like a wake up call to the real world, wasn't it?
2: It was because I, you. I, I Were you married at grace. the time? Were you married? I got married like a couple months after dental school, so I was engaged, getting married. Based on what you're saying about yourself, I'm really questioning your wife's judgment. Poor judgment, very <laughs> poor judgment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you're like a 27 year old toddler over here trying to figure out life. You're like, I went to school for. To almost 20 years. And I don't know how to do all this.
2: Yes. And what they don't teach you in school and you learn in the real world is like everything you say and do has absolute consequences that show up at your front door And in a school. That's not the case.
1: Right. Yeah. So give an example of that.
2: An example is in the real world, people give you money for your service. And if your service fails in three months or six months, They're going to be very upset with you that they gave you their hard earned money for something that didn't work.
1: I'm guessing that happened to you.
2: Oh, it happens to everyone. But specifically, like you put a crown on, and this happened to this has happened to every dentist. You put a crown on, and it falls off within a week. And the patient's at your front door at your office saying, What the hell? I gave you a thousand bucks, and the tooth is still broken. And then you're embarrassed. You feel incompetent. And that's the struggle every early dentist goes through in the beginning. You just have to go through it. So, When
1: you had this revelation that you didn't know that much, what
2: did you do? I thought to myself, time to get a real education. Because if I want to stay married, raise a family, I can't be a piss poor dentist. I have to actually put food on the table. So I took as much clinical CE as possible and try to learn that way. And did that make up for that? Did that make up that education gap? It did. So what they don't tell you in dental school is you need to take a lot of CE as soon as you graduate and then correlate that CE with what you're doing in the real world. So like you learn, then you go practice, you learn, you go practice, and that gets you better much faster.
1: Now, have you had an opportunity to go back to the Michigan dental school and have these conversations with with students?
2: I did lecture to the students about something else, but I haven't, I didn't tell them. I don't want to be so negative in front of a group of students that you learned shit while you're here. Yeah, that's funny.
1: So you were an associate with your childhood dentist. How long did that last? How did it go?
2: 18 months. And then he fired me and said I was the worst dentist he's ever hired. Wow. Is that big? Had you started taking CE at that point? That was like when I was just phasing into it where I was like, okay. I Because when you're a dentist, you don't see your mistakes till they like come back for hygiene. So like you see your work you did six months ago and you're like, Oh, that looks terrible. And then if you stay, the longer you stay to practice, the more you see your failings early on. So about six months, a year into it, I was like, Oh my gosh, I am not doing the type of work I'm proud of. And he noticed it too. And he didn't want to head me around because he was fixing a lot of my work too. Are you friends with him today? It didn't. I'm mature enough now to look back and be like he was right with what he was saying he was harsh about it but when i left i was like what an asshole like he gave me no mentorship he threw me in the waters and i was drowning and no life raft to pull me back out have you talked to him since you were fired no, he actually he got cancer and he had other medical issues pop up so we haven't spoken since okay. he's had left so
1: after you were fired what happened
2: I went to a clinic. like a pure Medicaid, 10 chairs, 20 people a day clinic. What was that like? It's difficult because you're doing a lot of extractions, which I had experienced in school, but the pace is difficult. And the patient- is very, ma- very fast. Very fast. It's easy to make mistakes. And the patient population is difficult to manage because they're all- angry they're angry because they're in pain they're angry because they're waiting five hours in a waiting room they're angry because they couldn't find the place so you're dealing with angry people all day and then to put insult on injury or injury and insult however you say it they're angry now you're giving them shots and you're putting them in more pain while you're taking their teeth out so it's a very stressful environment to work in but it really if you focus on managing them and yourself you can get much better quicker so how long were you there? Probably 18 months and I burned out. I couldn't see all these people in one day.
1: But it was a good learning experience, wasn't it?
2: Very good. I left on great terms with the boss. It just, I feel like I became like a dentist there. I like, so you like, honed your skills there. Yeah, like boys transitioned from like boyhood to manhood. I was like initiated into dentistry at that practice. So there, transition again, Where what happened then? Another, I went to corporate. I I slowly climbed back up the ladder. Went to corporate, worked there for about a year. It was an HMO, DMO practice. Again, we didn't end on bad terms, but it just, I wanted to own. And you, you saw what you did want to do, exactly. But I'm always learning. I'm always getting better, and I'm never burning bridges between the people that employed me because they were opportunities. They didn't have to give me that opportunity.
1: So then you said, I want to own it. You want to own a practice and you started, you got into ownership. Talk about that a little bit.
2: So I got into a partnership because I had this illusion or this fear that I wasn't good enough or smart enough to own a business on my own. So if I had partners, it would spread the risk and I would be safer long-term, but it was an illusion. Having partners was actually riskier for me. And unfortunately, my partnership, we exploded. We had a corporate divorce, lawyers, litigation. It was a huge mess. And
1: because I know this is an area where it's really a teaching moment for other people. Talk about the mistakes that you made and the assumptions you made that didn't turn out to be accurate.
2: Your partners, it's rare that your partner cares about your well-being. This is going to sound very cynical. But your partners it's hard cuz there's four people owning one business and there's different personalities, there's different philosophies and in the absolute end the person who owns 25% they want what's best for themselves and they'd be willing to sink the whole ship if they're i'm trying to be as vague as possible if their 25% succeeds so you're like competing within the company to make the whole company better but it's it's hard for them to make a sacrifice to benefit the whole business. And then that makes it hard for you to make a sacrifice to benefit the whole business. And just like when a marriage goes bad, if you feel like they're not, if both people aren't putting the same effort in at the same time, the marriage fails too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Partnerships or marriages are hard work. You and I both know that. And I'm assuming partnerships are as well. Now these partners or former partners of yours. Were these people you knew or these new relationships?
2: I worked for them for an associate for a year. So okay. I got to know them over a year, but like people can hide them true selves for a long time. If you only work with them. So how did it go south? Let's just say when you own a business with somebody, if somebody else is doing unethical things, you're still on the hook for it. That is correct. So I wasn't comfortable with what they were doing. They were comfortable with it. I brought it up and said, this is not a good thing for us to be involved with and they said take it or leave it and i just knew that if anything with the business was uncovered or it was just not something i wanted my kids to look at their dad and say oh my dad was doing that that's embarrassing that's an unethical thing to do so i split now but you had a good contract in place but it still cost you a nice chunk of money to, to
1: end that business dealing am i wrong
2: you're correct so my wife's an attorney my father-in-law is an attorney. They write contracts for a living. So I had an ironclad contract. And I need all your listeners to know this. It doesn't matter if your contract is ironclad or written in crayon. You still have to take it to an attorney or to a judge or an arbitrator, And then that costs money. And you, all, you would argue over what's written down. So nothing is in stone when you go to the courts.
1: And this ended up costing you well into the six figures to get out of this.
2: Yes. I had to take a hit on my buyout price and I had, to, I probably spent 75,000 alone in lawyers fees. And my wife is an attorney and she helped on the case and it still cost me that money with the other attorney. Wow. So you leave a bad partnership. What's the
1: next move? Because if so, I uh, at this point, You've got to basically be
2: like, good gracious, can I get a break? At this point, I'm like, shit. associate said I was fired. Can't do Medicaid. Can't do a partnership. My only option is to be a stay-at-home dad or own my own practice. So you said, hey, I'm
1: going to start my own practice.
2: Start my own practice. Now, and did I you thought, start
1: from scratch or did you buy one?
2: I bought a dying practice. And this has nothing to do with poorly looking at the owner, but he was 75 when i bought it so it was a very it needed a lot of work and i said this is going to be for me it was in the area i wanted to work in and i bought it and said let's go for it
1: all right so the one thing you did when you opened up is you changed the fi- the financial model of the business you said i'm going fee for service which i think a lot of people would argue takes some guts to do because a lot of people are afraid of walking away from insurance. So I asked you why you made that, that that decision. You said, I
2: can't live with someone telling me how much to charge for what I do. Yes. And I'll be upfront with your audience because I went fee for service. My wife wasn't working at the time because our kids were so young. She had to go back to work to supplement our income so we could keep living at the same lifestyle we were living at because I took that much of an income hit when I first went fee-for-service. So when you bought this practice, what percentage of the patients left when you went
1: fee-for-service?
2: Maybe 30%, 20%. It was partially fee-for-service when I bought it. So I had to transition maybe half the practice. And a bigger thing is, and younger dentists need to know this too, a lot of my patients actually died in the first couple of years, not due to my treatment, but they were just so old. So right. I lost a lot of people to the grave.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Now, you buy this practice, and then you realize you're managing cash flow because you're feet for service. But then, all of a sudden, you start realizing a trend come fall. What happened?
2: Everyone moved to Naples. <laughs> so, you had a practice full of snowbirds. Yes. So- and I, 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 didn't. Even, my parents aren't old enough to be snowbirds. So, I didn't even know that was a, a thing in, the, in a practice where half would leave in the wintertime.
1: Yeah, and that's, so all of a sudden now it's, hey, your six month clinic is in January. And they're like, I'm in Florida.
2: They're like, can you send my records to my other dentist? I was like, you have another dentist? Yeah, he's in Naples.
1: <laughs> so that's crazy. And so how did you
2: figure all that out? Just experience. I really try to focus on then getting new patients and try to get people that are more 30s, 40s, and 50s.
1: So how do you do that? So you buy a practice. It's very senior. Then all of a sudden you, it's a very senior laden uh, practice. All of a sudden you realize that you buy it half of them live in Florida half the time. And so they might be doing half their dental work down South. How do you attract a younger demographic thirties, forties and fifties to your new practice? how did you do it?
2: So my thinking was I have to go to where there's families and I have to go to where some of these families know me because it's hard to do get, if you have a referral from another patient or they know you, it's easier to get them in. I went to my kid's school because there's right. a lot of, my kids go to a private school and there's a lot of like-minded families at my kid's school. And I just, I advertised, said, Hey, I'm a dentist. I treat my kids. I'll treat your kids like my kids. And a lot of the families from my kid's school came to my practice.
1: That's great. And how long has it been since you bought that practice? Three years, the so three years, and your revenue from what you've been doing has, has how, how much has it
2: increased the last three years? When I dentists know this when they buy practices, the I feel like the collections are inflated in the last couple overstated, of years, overstated because some of them are going to leave once the dull dentist leaves. Yes, so I bought it at a certain amount, and it dipped all three years. And it has just come back up to where I bought it.
1: So, and that's a natural challenge because of a natural attrition and a practice. And I'm sure there's lots of people have some frustrations with that type of stuff. But so now it's back to where you originally bought it. And then of course, the goal is to take it further and further. Yep.
2: So that's fascinating.
1: Tell us a little bit about your your podcast because tell us about what it was, what it is and the whole
2: story there. So it started as an, in-person podcast and my whole goal so was you have to a
1: studio. someone came in the office
2: like joe rogan style joe rogan with one one millionth of the followers <laughs> my, my goal was to interview local business people in the area into my in my office and then convert them to patients or interview my patients because a lot of my patients are business owners to get more of a relationship it never panned out all i could get was other dentists to come in but there's a limit to in-person interviews because it's just the area. Right. So it was just dental and business specific. But as it grew, I ended up dropping the dental part of it. Although a lot of my listeners are dentists and it's more business and lifestyle. And tell everyone um, what the name of the podcast is. Dr. Vincent Buscemi podcast. And
1: what topics do you, do you cover in the, in the, in the podcast?
2: Everything. Like I just talked to a consultant and we talked about moving from PPO to fee-for-service. But I, I talked to physicians, lawyers, bankers, all different professions on how these things can improve your life.
1: That's fantastic. So with, with everything that you've experienced over your, dare I say, short career, it, it does seem like you've gone through more than most in that 10-year window. What is some? What are some... Parting words of wisdom you would
2: share. Dentistry is so difficult, demanding. You have to have something outside of it. Don't sacrifice your marriage for your practice. Don't sacrifice time with your kids for your practice. I would rather increase my income slower, but spend more time with my family. Because at the end of all of this, I'm not going to look back and say, I wish I had a thousand more patients. I always think I wish I had more time with my family. So do not lose sight of what's really important, which is your family and your kids, not your stupid practice.
1: Absolutely. So true. So hard to realize in today's world, but so true. Vince, thank you so much for coming on. Look up the, the Dr. Vincent Bushimi podcast to, to learn more about Vince and, and subscribe to his podcast. Thanks so much for coming on, Vince. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Ross. Had a blast. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brown.
0: This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com.
2: Ross Brandon is a registered representative of Coastal Equities, Inc., and Investment Advisory Representative of Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc., and securities are offered through Coastal Equities, Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC, 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.